1: suffering such grief at an early age, do you think that's really played a part in the Lisa McGuigan we know today? I act like my sisters with me. We would have been
0: doing this together. I think about that. I have that in my heart. I look at life like I've had a different chance than someone so close to me, and I'm really going to
1: have the best time. You're listening to Short Black with me, Sandra Sully. Good women, great chat. Well, I'm thrilled today to welcome to Short Black, one of my favourite winemakers in Australia. Has been for a long time, since the good old days of Tempest 2. Oh, it takes me back. Lisa McGuigan, welcome to Short Black. Hi, Sandra. How are you? I'm great, thank you. I'm thrilled to be talking to you because, you know, if you grew up in Australia, you grew up drinking McGuigan wines. Your dad was a legend in his day, still is. I want to know what it was like for you growing up in that sort of family.
0: Well, I won't swear at you or around you, (laughs) but growing up, mostly I can remember that my dad had a brand called Windham Estate and we lived five Ks away from any town. So my sister and I didn't really do dancing or I can't even think of the other things kids do these days. And so wine was sort of in my blood and my sister and I had a souvenir van and we used to sell t-shirts. So we thought The fact that they had a wine business was fabulous because we had all our girlfriends from school working in the van and uh, we came up with all the slogans on T-shirts. So it was fabulous growing up in a wine family. It wasn't naturally something that I wanted to do because it seemed like my sort of hobby job. When I was at high school, I wanted to study visual arts and so my dad didn't realise that because he was so busy, I don't think he asked very often. And I loved the wine industry, but I worked in the laboratory when I was on school holidays. I worked in the kitchen on other times during school holidays. So over the years, I'd done it all and it just didn't excite me. So I wanted to be a creative painting kind of a person. My father thought that wasn't a great idea. And he assumed that I was going to go to Roseworthy, which is the wine agricultural college, which is a fantastic place to go. Lots of my friends were going there, but I wasn't interested. It was in South Australia. Anyway, the story goes that I was in his boardroom when I received my HSC results and I announced that I wasn't going to Roseworthy, that I had been accepted into visual arts and I was very excited. And so on the way out of the boardroom after he'd told me that I was going to be studying winemaking, Mm -hmm. I under my breath said a few words that weren't probably what I would say to his face. And the next thing that happened to me was that I was sent on a plane with another local vigneron or wine person's daughter to finishing
1: school. How did that go down? Well,
0: I was only 17. I turned 18 on the day I arrived. But, Sandra, I must say that has formed my life and it made such an impact because I hadn't really been away from home for more than a night So I ended up in a finishing school for six months. Where was it? It was in Switzerland. It was amazing. Yeah. It was absolutely amazing. And so I came back and I still wanted to do visual arts, but it did make me see the world very differently and it gave me a great visual encounter of the world and at that age.
1: So that started me off in my career, not in the wine industry, It's not unusual, though, for families who have such a rich history in a particular industry to kind of spend their entire early years saying, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that. And at what point did you (laughs) realise it's where you want to be? Well, when I was in the
0: finishing school, there was a part. So the part for ladies, how to become a lady. (laughs) You say it with such affection, how to become a lady. (laughs) Well, it was... I did enjoy it for the first couple of weeks, but then I changed over to hotel management and that's when I fell in love the first time and hotel management was what I did. For the next 15 years, I studied hotel management. I started in Switzerland and then I completed my studies here in Australia and the courses here are fantastic. Also, the, the teachers often are from Europe and so you get some of the best chefs who have been abroad Uh, relaxing here in Australia. So it's great that we provide such a great holiday experience. And training ground. Yes, exactly. And so I learned under some of the great chefs and I went and worked in five-star hotels for 10 years and worked in food and beverage management. I loved every minute of it. The thing was, I ended up being the wine buyer in the hotel I worked at, the Sydney Renaissance Hotel, which I proudly worked at. I started as a because you always have to start from the bottom, right? Just because you've studied hotel management doesn't mean you're going to come in as the
1: wine buyer. Or but with that. your pedigree, did they kind of push you down that path or did you find yourself chasing it? I didn't tell them my surname. They didn't know anything about me. Okay. I just performed on the floor.
0: You don't get your surname on a badge till your middle management, you see. So it wasn't until after I'd shown my stuff that, which is what I wanted, mm because I was a little bit, tiny bit embarrassed about Wyndham Estate. It did have commercial wine and in a five-star, and the T-shirt said, get with the great visit Wyndham Estate. So I'm not that proud of that, but (laughs) (laughs) that's what it said. I don't have one still, which is good. The experience that I gained there was next level. And so to become the wine buyer, I kept looking at the presentation that representatives would make in the meetings and no one could even leave you a price list with the pricing on it without a message on the back or a phone message or something on the back and we didn't have mobile phones then but I always thought wow it'd be great to have something that was beautiful to leave behind about a brand if if your brand was you know such an extremely respected brand in Australia and I thought wouldn't it be good if they did leave me something I might put that wine on The other thing I noticed, Sandra, was most of the wine labels were white. Now, that might sound like a very bizarre thing to say.
1: It does now, but you realise, what, 30 years ago? All the labels were white because we actually follow the French. We did. Well, I think we still respect the French.
0: I think, I mean, I hold the French in high regard whenever I'm looking at anything to do with a style of wine because they nailed it. We have our own ways, though, as well, and we've been able to nail it in our other ways in winemaking, but I don't think we would copy a way that they're doing it and then say we do it better. I think we've come up with different techniques and we're a little bit more inclined to be more modern in some of our production techniques, but the French being traditional, I mean, it's great being traditional, don't you think, in anything? Yeah, you've got to pay due respect to the trailblazers, don't you? Yeah, I think in many industries we've looked at the way the creators and the inventors have set the the boundaries on it and, and made the discoveries on how to do things best and then we've
1: come up with another way to do it slightly differently. You cut your teeth in the hospitality industry and really fell back in love with the industry you grew up in. How were those conversations with your dad through that period? He would have been quite proud of you staying in an extended part of the game, and then kind of coming full circle. Well, I do remember that at that time when I decided after
0: several years of getting frustrated with where's the book people leave me, which I'm passing you the book now. And it's all about presentation. And I think that's what I learned in Five Star. You get one chance to present and you do it. Do you think you helped your dad's business in the process? (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. However, I did. Move into a role in later years. So by the time we're talking, uh, I'd been in the hospitality industry for over ten years. He was proud of me there because he'd come and visit, and he was always in in Sydney. But I mean, I call Sydney my home because that's where I've built my business. I've made so many friends in the hospitality industry. The good thing is that they're often wine buyers now. So <laughs> it does it well. It helps, but sometimes it doesn't, and. He's a very, he's a tough man, but I know he loves you. We have met many times and he's just wonderful. When he heard I was speaking with you, having coffee with you, he, well, I think he thought, why wasn't I asked? <laughs> <laughs> and so he's always been very demanding as a, a leader and as a family member, With all, even with his brother. His brother is a fantastic winemaker and followed in his footsteps, but Brian was always fairly tough on him. And I think that's good because we're not sooks. We don't want to be sooks.
1: No. Well, you're your own person and you've carved your own career. You've got a strong personality. You know, you're visually powerful, I think. You know you're in the presence of Lisa McGuigan when she's in the room, but it's because you're your own person. Thank you. And I get the sense you've kind of fought hard for that, to find yourself, find your voice, find your own identity away from your father's, you know, large character and imprint in an industry that's significant in this country. Yes, you're right. And I didn't feel it at the time, but I suppose he
0: made me want to be stronger and made me want to be um, more noticed. His brand that he started after Wyndham because they were, my mum and dad were taken over in a hostile takeover bid and that's how they lost Wyndham. And because it was such a big brand, it was sought after in the market and it had a great export following.
1: Was it a painful period when you look back?
0: Yes, because we also lost my sister the same year. The same year? Yes. You lost your sister, Vanessa, to ovarian cancer quite young. Yes, uh, she was 21 Oh, and it was 1990. And so that year they lost Wyndham and my sister. I mean I'd just started in five stars so I had something that really it doesn't help but it does keep you concentrating on something that is important to you and. My sister used to visit me at the hotel, so I never wanted to leave there because she'd been very um, well known in the hotel and everybody knew when she was in town having any treatment and I was her closest blood donor, so I was always let out to go and do the blood transfusions and um, yes, and so the St Vincent's Hospital was where she was treated, which is the most unbelievable experience having been there as well, even though she didn't make it, it was, it was definitely altered by having such an amazing team of people. So during that time, when we least expected it, the company was taken over. Mm. It's yeah. a family business. It's not just a company. Well, it was listed on the stock exchange. So I think once it's on the stock exchange, well, that's you've kind of given it up in a way. But it's still got your heart. Oh, of course. It still has my parents' heart. I suppose I wasn't as attached to it as I had other things going on. I just knew if they didn't do something else, it was not looking good because they'd lost so much and they'd been involved. Everything, every minute was the business Mm. and having shareholders was what they loved and they loved the shareholders and we had amazing shareholders. I mean, we had people that were so proud to be those shareholders and everybody was disappointed. Anyway, they started a new company called McGuigan. And so that was fantastic and it was only a couple of years after it was in 1992 or 3 that everybody in the family was encouraging
1: them because we were all worried. You have to have something to focus on after such grief and loss, don't you? I think so. You can't imagine what it's like until you have to go through it. It's just unbelievable and if you, everybody knows what this is like
0: I think but to lose the company as well I just double blow yeah anyway the best thing was I think sometimes as you know Sandra when you've been at the bottom of the barrel you don't often go around recognizing that but they were and so that gave them a big comeback and lots of their shareholders bought into the company so, they floated the company and they started, they bought a new winery, well, not a new one, an old winery. They managed to gradually build up everything and they've, over time, they reestablished themselves and launched McGuigan. And then that has been in existence for over 25 years now. And uh, my dad's retired. Anyway, so in about 97, I finally decided I can't stand these white labels anymore. And I had been putting, in my mind, this brand together. And so I started formulating an idea, which became a brand called Hermitage Road. And I started it with uh, my best friend from school. She'd gone to Roseworthy.
1: Do you remember all the challenges that you faced at the time? Because you were his daughter launching your own business in the business outside of their business. (laughs) Yes. There were challenges because
0: what I was doing was using my own funds to start the brand. And I think he always was thinking, oh, she'll see. But I didn't want to be part of a public company because I didn't feel my uh, place there. And I felt that I needed to start something that would have some, some attraction by those shareholders. And I didn't want to be the daughter that just like, didn't work out just in case. So I started the brand and I called it Hermitage Road. And that year, we'd had the best year. We sold 1,000 cases a month, which is quite a lot where no one knows that when you're going out on the first Monday to sell <laughs> some wine, two girls going out to sell wine and no one had ever heard of it, and we did 1,000 cases a month. We were really proud of that, and my dad was over the moon because he didn't think we could do that, and I ran out of money. And so <laughs> even though I'd sold the wine... You quickly run out of money in a wine business. You've got to have a lot of money to start with because you need to produce the wine firstly. It's like anything. You've got to put it all together. But with wine, you can't just add a bit more when you run out because it's not the same. It's a different vintage or it's for somewhere different. And so the brand had gone very well and people in the street were saying, oh, how do we get some of that? The shareholders wanted it. And that was a good thing the shareholders, they encouraged the company to back the brand. And um, we did have another incident in that first year that was still under my kind of ownership. I received a letter and it was from overseas. And I thought, how fantastic, maybe I've won an award. But when I opened it, it was from the French government (laughs) or lawyers working on behalf of the French government. And it told me that I had to stop trading as Hermitage Road because I think everybody knows about the fact that we can't call sparkling wine champagne anymore. And back in about 98, that actually became law where if it wasn't made in champagne, then it wasn't champagne. And so Hermitage being a region, I didn't think that would be a problem because the road being Hermitage Road. And even Brian said, look, if the Hermitage, when I was naming it Hermitage, if Hermitage is a problem, then we'll all have to change our addresses on the road. Anyway, the addresses haven't been changed, but Hermitage Road got beaten up and within 12 months, I had to change the name. At that time, the board of McGuigan had uh, taken the brand across. We'd worked out our arrangement, which I had a very strong arrangement about it being run in a particular way and that I would run it within the company, but I had no name. And so I had to come up with something very quickly. And the. The name that I came up with, which everybody knows, is Tempest 2, which means second time.
1: It captured everyone's attention at the time, I remember. Not only was the wine delicious, but the label was silver. My obsession is metal. In many respects, that's kind of become your signature. I never realised at the time the story behind it. Did you? Well, but I'm very proud that you've, I've just learnt that you loved
0: it from the beginning because you don't know that, and so that fact that you've just said that, I'm just very happy now.
1: So you're in the business and you've got the support of the family. Yes. You always have the support of the family, I'm sure, but the wine industry has gone through some really difficult times and you're throughout all of this trying to carve your own path and your real point of difference. Part of that was creating this unique experience at the cellar door.
0: Yes. So having sold into the domestic market, so mostly in Sydney, Melbourne, and then with Tempest 2, I was very fortunate that I had been able to sell some wine into the UK and then it took off into all parts of the world. Once it was set in the market globally, the board allowed me a budget to build a cellar door. And so the budget was $6 million, which, you know, what can a girl do with $6 million? (laughs) But I had a very, very clear picture in my mind of because of the site that we were given to put it on, that it would be a bit like a castle for people to arrive in the Hunter Valley. I built a winery with, it has about eight eight different bays. Three of them were for the winery and two were for the actual cellar door experience. And the other bays were for other attractions. So we've now got a restaurant called Oishi and there's a gourmet cheese outlet as well. So those two were, they came later because I had those bays ready to see what we would need to put in there and get a feel for what people were wanting to experience when they came to that cellar door. And you couldn't know all of that until you actually experienced it. One of the other things that happened, I wanted to be able to have concerts and we already had Day on the Green over at Bimbajan. Those concerts were really fantastic in the valley. They were a maximum, though, of 5,000 people. So I thought if I can put in an amphitheater, so here goes my finishing school moments because I did go on a trip to Egypt and a trip to Greece and the amphitheaters that I actually sat in there, I just dreamt about having something like that. The board, however, weren't that excited about the amphitheater. However, I was very fortunate because a really fabulous investor in the area, his name is Bill Roach, Bill and Imelda Roach. The family had invested so much money in the area and he's a gorgeous fellow. He was at an event that my father was hosting. I was flirting with him and he was saying to me, what are you doing across the road, Lisa? And I said, oh, putting in a blah, 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 putting in a fabulous winery. And and he said, well, how do I get some skin in the game? And so I won't tell you the rest of the conversation, but by the end of uh, that night, he had invested another six million. So he became an almost 50% shareholder. And he invested the rest of the money so that we could put in every other part of that facility that I dreamt of. So I was a very lucky girl. I think the year that we had Elton John perform, he and I were both had our glasses
1: up in the air, realizing what we'd achieved. We're at the end of the pandemic, you know, we've all struggled through the last two years. Tell me about your experience in the last two years and I guess the wine industry has done its off. Yes. So
0: I've left uh, the McGuigan Company and started Lisa McGuigan Wines now. I started that 10 years ago. I, yeah, I've been in the, with my own brands under my, my name uh, for 20 years now. I h- hadn't actually counted that until sitting here with you today. <laughs> The Lisa McGuigan brand has been mostly in the uh, Sydney hotels and restaurants and bottle shops and I'm very, very fortunate to have a great relationship with all of those companies who support me. So I decided that I would build my own next cellar door, and there was an area of land offered to me that was uh, just before Tempest 2 actually. The first restaurant ever to open in, in the Hunter Valley was called Blacksland's Restaurant and that had a spot of land to the left that had never been really resided on and it was just a paddock. So here I am with another paddock and at least it wasn't a snake pit this time as Tempest 2 was. The cellar door I had in my mind was because my brand's fairly gothic and I think that it's developed to that because I started with the metal and I got a bit more, a bit more adventurous and then, yeah, here I am at a gothic cellar door And I started building that in 2018, and the virus hit. So I'd just completed it, and I'd been open for two weeks. And a friend of mine who works in the aviation industry rang and said to me, "There's some ships coming into Sydney, and are you in Sydney? Get out of there!" And it was like I thought he was joking. And it was took a few days, and then you know the problems with the ships had happened, but still we didn't know what was about to happen.
1: But hang on, we just got through the bushfires as well. Yeah. Right? So you've got, you've you've launched a new cellar door <laughs> just through the bushfires and then the pandemic hits. Yikes. How are you going now? Well, we've, I think we're everybody in the world's
0: gone through this has been, I'd like to say, S H I T, but it's shot. Yeah. And it's been a fight. However, my cellar door now, which is called VAMP. Vamp means flirtatious woman.
1: <laughs> Does it? <laughs>
0: yes. And I wanted to call my cellar or something else so that it was a different product and it was a, it's not just where you taste Lisa McGuigan wines. And it is that.
1: Yeah, it's cheeky and that's you.
0: Yes. I like to be a bit cheeky and flirtatious. And I wanted to do this because the thing is, I didn't really in my job get to meet my consumers. I would at a wine tasting at a bottle shop or I would at a wine dinner that I would do, but I didn't every day see my consumers or my possible consumers or potential consumers. And I wanted to start a cellar in the Hunter as well, because my parents are nearly, they're nearly in their eighties and I hadn't spent any time there. I've been out having the great time selling wine all around the world. And I had really not, spent more than a, one weekend every six weeks up there. I wanted to spend some more time with them. So the whole thing fell into place at the same time. But being up there during the virus, being locked away, I can actually say wasn't such a bad thing, even though it was terrible financially, because I'd just spent my whole saving. I sold my apartment in Sydney. I downsized and bought a smaller apartment in Sydney because as I said, Sydney's my home. I love Sydney. You
1: dressed... Top to toe in black. You've already said you love the goth. Where did all that come from? I mean, it's clearly your signature. Uh, Well, would
0: you believe I'm colourblind? No, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I just think my hotel days presentation is the thing and I think you can always look good in black, right? Yeah. I'd look terrible in white, Sandra.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So with the new cellar door, Vamp. How's it going?
0: It's going well now. And I have the best time meeting some of my clients because they tell you some great stories and it's a great opportunity to give people that experience. And one thing that is uh, really unusual that I didn't realize was that people can't believe they're meeting the winemaker. And so I'm there every Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and people just are beside themselves. So anyone listening that has been there and it has been beside yourself. Thank you. You make me feel like going to work every day. And um, actually learning a lot from what people say about the wine. I've just launched a couple of wines that I'm proud of, one called Athena Rosé. And I would never have come up with that if I hadn't had such connection with my consumers. Even though I had connection with my consumers through the people purchasing them through retail, you don't really get to to hear what people like and what they prefer to drink.
1: Do you find that challenges you and and inspires you at the same time? Yes, because I've also come
0: out with a Vermentino that I've unfiltered. What's a Vermentino? A Vermentino is a varietal from from Italy. Now, they won't get upset that I use the name because it's the name of the great variety. The Italians make it really well into a particular style. I've made it to that style, which is spicy and long finish, creamy, but it's not too complex. It has no oak. But what I did was I I left it unfiltered. And so it could become a little bit cloudy if I were to pour you a glass right now. And I get the chance to say, look, I wanted it like this because I want it to be as pure as possible as a wine. By not filtering it, it's not handled as, as much. And so it, wouldn't look good if I weren't here with you because you would be thinking, Well that's not so good, is it? <laughs> Don't drink the less of a verment. And so
1: that's traditionally that's a wine fault. And all your new range has your metal labeling. Yes. Which yes. is your signature.
0: Yes. I started it with Tempest Two. And everybody said, Oh, you can't put metal onto a bottle. And I was inspired by the bust from Jean-Paul Gaultier, the perfume, which has the metal bra on it. And I knew if he could get it onto a perfume, I could get it onto a bottle. And it took a long time. It's not something that just easily, metal doesn't easily go onto a roll. And for a while I had to hand label things, but I managed to um, have that perfected. I still use my producers that did it in the early days that I had to go into a dungeon with an Italian fellow who wanted to know what I was doing and how many kilometres I would be using of metal. And it it had to be the thickness of foil, which is pretty thin. And he would recommission one of his machines that he hadn't used for years. And so we managed to do it and I still use him because it was such a great experience. And Tempest 2 still use them, but I've now adapted it so that you can print on it whereas before you couldn't print on it. And so that's my secret and I still use it on my bottles.
1: As an industry, we've really come of age several decades ago. And many Australians are really proud of our wine industry. How would you rate it? Look, I think that
0: we're one of the more innovative countries and we also do traditional wines well. But because we do innovation well, we're very popular in the global markets. I think that we don't really necessarily try to compete with the French we I mean I personally just respect them as the the heroes of our of our industry but we can manage to get wine into Asian countries at a lot better price and we produce wines that suit those palates a lot more. I think we're more flexible for those types of areas.
1: Can I just ask you about the American market I, I feel like in the last 20 years they've woken up how wonderful Australian wines are. Would that be an accurate assessment?
0: Yes. I'm not sure if you've tried many of the American wines. There's some really amazing American wines. I'm inspired to make Pinot like they make it in America. Not New Zealand? Look, we make it in a similar way to New Zealand, but the American Pinots, I pride myself on making them a bit heavier like they do. And I used to have a bottle shop, so I used to stock lots of American Pinot and because Paul Keating was one of my customers. The first time I met him, I could hardly speak. <laughs> I was so overcome, but he ended up being an amazing consumer of Pinot and and his sister as well. And I uh, learned actually a lot about American Pinot from his palate. Yeah. And so I started stocking a lot of them so I could get him into the store more, <laughs> but he was gorgeous. And so now I've fallen in love with the American Pinots and I, I've got two types of Pinots. I've got a, Yarra Valley, which is more of the French and New Zealand style. And then I've got a McLaren Val, which is more of the American Willamette Valley style, you know.
1: You know, what I love about your story is that you own your passion, which is infectious. And you don't have to be a big wine drinker to love wine. That's right. One of my, you know, many sayings in life is life is too short to put up with fools yes. sit in traffic <laughs> and eat <laughs> I love that shite food yes and wine
0: yes yeah. just having a, just a, a small glass it's so different if you have the right food with the right wine it can change everything if someone doesn't drink wine it's just good to try it don't try red first try white it can be matched so beautifully like chardonnay There's two types we're talking about today and one's lightly oaked and one's really oaked and aged. And so the aged one isn't something that you should try if you're just starting with wine, but there's some beautiful Pinot Gris and Moscatos that you can have.
1: Moscatos are kind of sweet.
0: Not unless, well, yes, they are sweet, but it's a good way to get someone who doesn't drink any wine onto wine. And then once I've got them, I make a Moscato. Once they're onto wine, I add a nip of vodka. And I call it, (laughs) I call it after myself. It's called Elisa. (laughs) And I serve that at my cellar door because so many people come, there's say four and three other ones tasting and one doesn't drink. So I just give them Elisa and then they're into the tasting.
1: But maybe they're the designated driver and you've corrupted <laughs> the whole trip. But that's, that's alright, because next time you come, I'm happy to drive you. <laughs> I've driven quite a few of my clients back to their hotels. While you love Sydney, really, you're kind of based in the Hunter these days.
0: Yes, well, I'm definitely there Friday, Saturday, Sunday.
1: So where's the business now? Going well? You're excited about the future?
0: Yes, very excited. And I've just got a great team at my cellar now, a young man who's the, who's about to become the manager and a, a young lady who is going to be the assistant because I've been running it, but I think now it's time for me to just get on and do some other things such as make some other wines, create a great dinner. We're having a medieval dinner. In fact, we're having a couple and they'll start around August this year. So there'll be a few over the winter period.
1: And we'll be having food that's cooked outside on a rotisserie, plus underground. Just back to wine for a second. Sounds to me like you don't actually grow your own grapes in The Hunter. Why not? Well, I don't because Daddy does.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I'm terrible in the garden. I planted my first uh, lot of grapes behind my cellar door. They're dead. And so I'm really good in the winery and... In the marketing and the ble- clearly the blending, right? Yes, the making.
1: How does that process work?
0: Well, I outsource. So there's a lot of great growers in the Hunter, and I have started sourcing like Vermentino recently. And now I've got a contract which I uh, take every year, and that at whatever the price is that he wants to sell it to me at, because I love the Vermentino. Uh, and also, my dad grows a lot. And he's planted Veltliner, which is also a love that I have of in grapes. That's a Austrian grape varietal that I now sell a lot of, and it's a beautiful wine, white wine. Those kind of uh, scenarios are great because my dad still does. He loves horticulture. He loves being out in the vines.
1: If you want a career in the wine industry, what's the best way to start? The best way
0: is, well, Roseworthy is the main college. There's also other colleges like Wagga that do run wine courses. The best way is you should just come and work in a winery or wine cellar. You'll soon find out if that's your cup of tea. In the Hunter, we're very happy to, through the Hunter Valley Tourist Association, to give any kind of information on education. I'm personally happy to talk to anyone about the best way to go about it, not that I'm the best advisor because I've done it a different way, I would advise going through colleges, but I think that there's many opportunities that also the Australian Wine and Brandy Corporation, they have a massive amount of information on their website. If that excites you, then next level, go to a winemaker or a wine company and ask, can you ask them questions? We're always, always very happy I know my dad would be happy as well, to answer any questions about the best way to get in. And there's plenty of people to talk about it, especially over a glass of wine. But in The Hunter, we're all very happy to answer any questions that
1: anybody may have. So were you thinking of getting into the industry, Sandra? No, because because what goes hand in glove with so much wine is so much cheese. (laughs) It is cheesy. (laughs) It's delicious with wine. I think one of your mottos is, great wine should be enjoyed with great friends and great food
0: yes I totally agree with that
1: life's too short to not have cheese (laughs) you know the spirit through this whole conversation has been cheeky but also a genuine passion for what you do and also living life to the fullest I can't help but wonder if suffering such grief at an early age losing your sister so young do you think that's really played a part in the Lisa McGuigan we know and enjoy today I think so. I act like my sister's with me.
0: She had a great sense of humor, better than mine, and I think that I've tried to act the way she would if she were with me in our t-shirt shop. And she was younger than me, so I always influenced her, but we would have been doing this together. And I think about that, I have that in my heart. And if I didn't think any other way, I'd be I'd be some tragedy somewhere. And I look at life like I've I've had a different chance than someone so close to me and I'm going to make it work and I'm really going to make the best choices and have the best
1: time. Well, we've loved having you here at Short Black. Thanks so much for joining us, Lisa McGuigan. Good luck. Thanks so much, Sandra. I've loved being here. You have been listening to Short Black, a Network 10 podcast. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, subscribe in your favourite podcast app.